0: Ki ngā hoe whāo te motu, tēnā koutou katoa, nau piki mai, nau kake mai, ki te ahi kā, ko maraia rak rakuraku tēnei. Ko Justine Murray tēnei. Kia, Kia ora tātou katoa. katoa. You're back with Te Ahi Kā, New Zealand's Māori Features Programme, giving you insight into the Māori world. Much has been made about the returning of war medals to Waiuru Army Museum earlier this week. But what about the men who were awarded those medals, and how their participation in war has contributed to the world we know today? This week, we're focusing on the activity of Sea Company of the 28th Māori Battalion and their input into the Second World War. That's because over the weekend, Gisborne has been buzzing with the launching of a book, *Nā Tamatoa: The Price of Citizenship*, Sea Company and the Māori Battalion. How many book launches pull together hundreds of people? re-enact a train trip and get city buy-in. That's just one of the activities that saw downtown Gisborne transformed yesterday. And while we hear about obligations under the Treaty of Waitangi, who would have thought going to war was one of them?
1: And so a lot of those soldiers went with no expectation really of reward that their tibon had signed them up to it through the treaty. You British citizens, Britain's under under pressure here. Um, we, we need to, to front up. And that's the the huge. That's the main reason behind voluntary service for Maori because uh, 1941 conscription was brought in for New Zealanders, but it wasn't applied to Maori. Ngata and others argued that you don't need to conscript Maori. They know what their responsibility is under the Treaty, They'll front up.
0: Take a book written 60 years ago by Ape Nata, a scholar with an army background 40 years later, and you have the beginnings of Ngā Tamatoa, The Price of Citizenship, *C Company and the Māori Battalion. Written by Dr Monty Suter and published by David Bateman, the book looks at the role C Company of the 28th Māori Battalion had in the Second World War. And as Dr Suter said to me, the input of the various companies wasn't only restricted to the soldiers but included their whānau, and because of the way the Māori Battalion was structured... Divisions. So, Mariah, you had Kraua who were in the 28th uh, Battalion Nera. I did. Well, I had a few, but both my paternal and maternal crowa, Whareawahi Rakuraku, and Boy Noi Matono Fort and C Company. What about you, Justine? Well, yes, I did have um, my, my koro, Gerald Ngātoko, who unfortunately passed away before I was born. Uh, he was in the 28th Māori Battalion, and I remember seeing images of him on TV and old black and white photos that my mum has. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's um, we, we still pay tribute to our fallen kraue and my koro every year. So as mokopuna of those yeah, Koroa you know, we've grown up hearing those stories, yep. and that's what I found when I did this interview with, uh, with Monty Souter, that how we look at war as the Mukapuna, you know, we're two generations removed mm-hmm. from it, is very different to how they did.
1: A battalion of, an infantry battalion is 750 men when it's at full strength. That's how many left these shores in 1940, uh, and within that battalion you have five companies, and uh, and the infantry company, four infantry companies and a um, a specialist company, which has got all your drivers, your medics and people like that. So your infantry company, of which C Company was one, at full strength is is roughly 120 men. So 750 of them left in 1940, but you've got to keep the battalion reinforced for the duration of the war, so that by the time the war ended, 3,600 Māori had been across. Um, so yeah it's 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 quite a a contribution to um the New Zealand division, but remembering that the maori battalion was one of eleven infantry battalions overseas uh in the second new zealand division so, so we're we're a cog in a machine, but they punched above their weight uh, as we all know i mean Anzac day comes around everybody um in some way recognises the efforts of the Māori Battalion particularly, although they were only one of 11 battalions in that division. C. Company is the region generally between Opotiki and, and Gisborne, and it took in a number of tribes, uh, from Whanua, Pernui, Ngāti, through to the Turanga, Iwi. And uh, the cowboys, yes, they were titled because of their, uh, some say they were still riding horses in the 1940s, but weren't we all? Uh, They're still riding horses now. Yes, uh, but the other reason was they their dress. Um, a lot of them were, you know, the movies in, in those days were of cowboys and Indians, and a lot of those guys turned up at camp as if they were um, in a Western movie, and that was p- partly the reason too. But um, equally, you had uh, a company which was Auckland North, uh, the gumdiggers they were called, Ma Keri Kapia. Uh, big company was uh, the Bay of Plenty, Mata Atua tribes, to, um, the Thames region. They were the penny divers, uh Kapa, only because uh, Te Arawa was the… Um,
0: penny divers.
1: Yeah, the major tribe in that region. And then we had um, all the other iwi from basically Wairo across to the Waikato down to the South Island. And there were a few um, Pacific Island boys in there mm. too. Uh, who were known as um, the United Nations or Ngati Walkabout because there wasn't one real name you could give to them. The genesis for this book goes back to 1946. Siapirana uh, Ngata, when the Māori Battalion came home, set out in a letter that a history of Sea Company was to be written and he explained how it was to be funded and what its focus was to be. And I think it was because he felt that the Māori story uh, in World War I had been overlooked because... Um, it's clear Marty had a, a major major role in New Zealand forces in the First World War as well, and that he didn't want that to happen a second time. Um, but because there was an official history coming out of the battalion, he decided to focus on his own region, um, and they had made quite a contribution to the, the battalion, but quarter, a quarter of the battalion came from that region. So he wrote out this letter, and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Awatere was to carry out the research for some reason, and I assume it's because men wanted to get on with their lives. It got shelved after a year. And uh, we picked it up again in 1994 uh, when we were students and lecturers at Massey University, got involved with Mighty Battalion veterans. And so um, it's it's over 60 years that this book has taken to actually produce.
0: Now, I'm imagining it would have been... A very emotional task for for you to be researching this book. I know as a mukapuna of battalion soldiers that my Koroa, you know, they found it very difficult to talk about the years that they spent overseas mm-hmm. and then seeing the impact that it had upon my nanny and my uncles and aunties.
1: Mm. Um, we came into it um, rather naïve. We, like yourself, are the generation who are the the children or nephews and nieces of um, these men. We knew lots of stories about the battalion that we'd been told by our own uncles and and my own mother, who lost a brother overseas. But we didn't really know what we were getting into. We thought, let's just um, record this stuff before it's lost. And uh, it was a privilege, really, to be able to sit there and listen to... Not just the veterans tell us about the the war, but the impact that that war was having on the women back home, and and yes, it wasn't just emotional for us. It was almost a, a shedding of of tensions that they've carried since the the forties mm. that uh, we were witness to, and it it was yeah, really quite sad at times. But um, we've grown, and I'm sure the. Māoridom will grow from reading the book and the nation because of the perspectives that come out in the book.
0: Yeah, 14 years. 14 years of research. Mm.
1: We actually started writing in
0: 2001.
1: Well, and I I must, you know, with um, books that are published, you know, somebody's name's got to go on it. I fought hard not to have a name on this book because given I have written it, but um, it doesn't really reflect the effort that is behind this book. Uh, I'm the sharp end of, uh, of a machine that has produced this book that dates back to '46, and you've had veterans, widows, um, researchers, all assisting to get the information together so that you know I've had this big pool of information to access. But then a draft is written. It's put back in front of um, a group of people. Uh, and um, it's assessed so that um, if you read a chapter in this book, it really is C Company's story according to the last of them. And uh, as a historian, it's it's often difficult uh, to be told, no, you can't put that in or, or put this in. Mm. You, you usually have some license to make those choices, not in this case. Um, the veterans have always had the last say in this book, Um, and they remind uh, myself and other young people working on the book that it's our story. Uh, We're really just the uh, vessel that's allowing it to go to print. Quite uh, a unique um, way of producing a book, but I think the book's much richer for it.
0: What do you tell
1: As I say, in 2001, the first chapter for this, well, the mandate for the book was, was given. Uh, we'd collected all this information. We went and hui, went to hui around our region with our veterans, and they all agreed that a bo- the book that Ngata talked about, about in 46 should be written and published. That was in 2001. It's taken us to 2008 to get the book completed, and largely due to the wealth of information that we had access to and the process of having it, each chapter being vetted by by um, veterans. Um, so it's about 350 pages, the book. There's uh, 200 rare photographs because we collected photographs when we were doing our research that are in the book. And... Um, we so. tried to put a, a photograph of every man who served in Sea Company into the book that's about nine hundred and fifty photographs, and we we came short by about eighty, so there's close to nine hundred photographs portrait photographs in the book um it's an interesting book because it's a, a lot of Maori minds have gone into it as the primary audience is Naudi ahohm. Uh, and how do you reach the descendants of these men? Because the widows, the wives, and the men said, the only reason we want this book out is so that our uh, grandchildren, great-grandchildren in the future, have some understanding of why we went to that war and and an appreciation that they have a better life as a result of our our contribution to World War II. So as, as young academics, I guess, we sat down and we tried to figure out how are we going to get uh, young people to read this book, because if you can reach young Maori, you'll reach the rest of New Zealand anyway. And so the book's designed in such a way. It's, it's we always thought, you know, websites were the way to go, where you had boxes and photographs, uh, maps, not just pages of text, so that the young Maori gets to graze the pages and and pick out the things that they want to concentrate on in a chapter. So it's different in, in that sense, but uh, we think that, that'll grab the reader. The other obvious thing to us was if you put a photograph of somebody's grandfather yeah, of your yeah mm. in the book, that's going to get them to open, yeah. uh, open the pages, uh, and we all as Māori know that.
0: So the price of citizenship... I mean, I guess there are there are a number of levels to the eh? say. As again, I'm talking from my perspective as a Mokopuna Battalion soldiers. I know that um, I remember my Korow talking about how when he came home, all the funds had been given had been given to Pakia soldiers through that ballot system, mm. and they were left with nothing. So you know, as we were growing up, it was like you know, is that the mm. price of citizenship? You go to fight a war and then you come back, and your yeah. land has been...
1: We've had great debates on this. There, are, the, the overseer of this book is the Ngā Taonga Ngā Trust, which is made up of veterans, pāuaru, uh, widows, and some of us younger younger people, and it's been an intergenerational debate, and it's really uh, interesting from our perspective to hear those that generation who lived through that war explain to us what it was all about, and... The big question we always had, and, and it is the the title, the price of citizenship. What does that actually mean? Because mm-hmm. it meant something quite different to us younger people than it did to the generation who went through that war. Um, our immediate reaction was, uh, I, I get a hint in your question that it's the same feeling we had as, uh, uh, you know, what was the gain for so much loss? Uh, did were, were we were Maori treated any better when they came back? To, came back home to New Zealand, Uh, when in actual fact that the price of citizenship to that older generation wasn't quite about that. It had a lot more to do with, um, sure, all these young men went off the wall for the same reasons as their their Pākehā relatives, see the world. um,
0: Get away from the cows. Yep,
1: get away from milking the cows and doing the fences. But their pakeke, the leaders of the time, had a... Um, they were high-level thinkers, and it was about this whole issue of equality that their chipuné had signed up to the notion of equality through the treaty, and it's in Article 3 about British citizenship. And um,
0: and that was very much a Ngata's thinking, Nena.
1: Not just Ngata's. The Māori leadership of the time um, in, in a lot of tribes was about if we expect equality – and we're now in a situation where we're being asked to support Britain, who's in the who's under under stress, um, and and there was two views. One was we need to go to this war, and side by side with our Parker brothers, if we have are, are to have any say in the developments post war. I mean, if we we're ever going to be equal partners. It's not going to be helped if we aren't seen to be serving in this war, and so a lot of those soldiers went with no expectation really of reward that their chap had signed them up to it through the treaty you british citizens britain's under under pressure here um we we need to to front up and that's the the huge that's the main reason behind voluntary service for Māori because uh, 1941 conscription was brought in for New Zealanders but it wasn't applied to Māori Ngata and others argued that you don't know, need to conscript Māori they know what their responsibility is under the treaty they'll front up uh, and to his credit they did although they were under pressure at times and as Māori do the fingers started getting pointed around at, at certain iwi who weren't fronting with the numbers but uh the result of it is, is that Māori can sort of stand proud and know that they did their part in that war. Um, we as younger people asked the question, OK, we did our part, what did we get for it when we when we come, when the men came home, and for all those losses overseas? Um, because when I entered this project, all I knew was I had an uncle killed over in Italy. Um, I think he was twenty, twenty-one, with no real understanding of... Why is he, you know, why is is the guy in Italy? Uh, And why was he fighting the Germans? But, um, you know, through the research that that, uh, has been carried out, we've got a much better understanding. Because I, like yourself and other Māori, grew up with just the, I suppose, the pain uh, in families, just seeing my mother and uh, grandmother, you know, the pain of a loss, uh, you know, of a son. And, And the bigger picture of what they were fighting for was just lost in, in the stories that we grew up with so we in the last chapter of this book talked about the sole issue of is well how do we deal with this these guys come back from from the war uh, we could go on and on about the the treatment Marty got in the 1940s and 1950s post war um, and uh, almost a fatalistic attitude that Māori went into the 60s with, that um, this is the way we're treated. Um, But we didn't think that that really was... That's another book. We tried to find, with the veterans, how the positives in the Māori Battalion, and it really has been that they learnt when they are overseas that their... I suppose that their real self-worth was their Māori tanga. Mm. And it was their Māoriness that... um, uh, that they were leaving for us is, is the the legacy that that has been left to the next generation, generations to follow, is is about the fact that you are Maori, it's unique, and that you should um, always try to promote that. And uh, I I think that's what they they tried to do, um, post war. I know when the battalion was farewelled in, in Wellington when they broke up, Sir James Henare as their, their commander, that's what he said to them, too um, too Māori mai, uh, when you go home. And uh, I th- I think if there's a message coming out of the book in terms of the price of citizenship, it's uh, the fact that they tried to be Māori, because certainly the story in the book is about they wanted their own Māori officers, their commander they eventually wanted to be Maori they were very unhappy when in the middle of the war at the peak of their um their reputation really it was ch- commanders were changed back to Parker um and they battled that right throughout the war not just the senior Maori officers but the leaders back here uh and but the cost of being Maori organizing a battalion around tribal hapu units you know there was a high casualty rate as a result of that uh, and I think the real price of citizenship is that they were prepared, in order to be Maori, to suffer these these high losses. And um, yeah, going into the future, that's I think the book's message is reminding Maori that you are Maori, and that there is some real positives in being Maori, and that you should always try to maintain that, despite you know the environment you're in. The book's called Ngā The Price of Citizenship. We're reclaiming the name Ngā um because that, that was a name for the Māori Battalion in our area. It's on our dining rooms, and the veterans chose the name. The Price of Citizenship because Apirana Ngata, Apirana Ngata wrote a book in 1943 um, about this whole notion of, of equality and service. And um, But the book would not have been done, would not have been completed without the help of a lot of people. And I've mentioned the veterans and 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 researchers, but every family who's given a photograph or a story in some way or a letter has made this possible. And then there's the Ministry for Culture and Heritage, and the Punekaurkati who've been big supporters, and of course Massey University that that I'd have to thank. The book comes out in uh, Labor Weekend, and I'm um, sure people will find it fascinating.
0: Kilda, and that's Dr. Monty Souter. Every week we share some common basic Māori words, or kupu Māori. And in keeping with the theme of the programme, we have soldier, which is hoia. Now you may have heard the phrase ngā This is an expression that refers to the soldiers in the Māori Battalion. The literal translation is strong men, but in this context could be warrior men. What is is Pakana. The words tuatahi means first and tuarua second. So te pakana tuarua is the second word war. Karakia is the word for prayer. Karakia. Something that our soldiers would have done religiously before battle or while facing the enemy. Some of the places they travelled to included Egypt, which is ihipa. Italy is Itari. Now they made quite an impression there because they've got a few things in common. Māori people, Italianos, they love a lot of things, especially the kai or food. As heard earlier there with Dr. Montesuta, there were many reinforcements to the battalion because sadly men die. The word for widow is Powaru. as is wahanu, Justine. What does that mean? So wahanu refers to your mouth being silent for a year, and what that means is after a year of mourning, you're free to remarry. So that's wahanu. So I guess it's a bit like going from a state of tapu to noa, from mourning to living again, there Exactly, that's exactly what it is. And that's what the purpose of the reenactment of the train trip was this weekend in Gisborne, Naima eh, Mariah? That's right, Justine. Uh, they reenacted the return of the Sea Company in 1946 back to their home areas. Now what some people may not know is that there's a process when you go from being tapu to noa and having been on the battlefield where the soldiers were tapu they had to go through a process of whaka noa. This would relinquish the tapu and release them back into the world of the living. Hmm, Interesting. But if you go to our website, radio.nz.co.nz forward slash teahika, there's some additional information about that. He mehi tīnei ki a Monty Sucha, me ngā mihini i wiki. Kina morehu o te muru o te ahi, nga mihi ki a Me hoki mai te iwi ki te nei o te katoa.